Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Thank you, Shirley. Very well read. It's a difficult passage to read, that one. Um, it's a complicated passage. Uh, for anyone who's new here today, my name is John. I'm pastor of the church here, and it's uh, my privilege to welcome you to the community of believers here. Um, the passage that uh, Shirley just read to us, um, let me just find it, Ephesians chapter 1. Um, it, it's a poem, that, that bit that was read is a, is a poem really, verse 3 to 14. And it's a poem praising God. And, and in fact, part of the reason it's hard to read is that it's one sentence in the Greek language. I don't know how you'd have felt about reading it without breathing. Uh, but that's, that's how it's written. It's written as like a, an overflow of, of, of praise to God. Um, and it's very theologically rich. It's very theologically dense. Um, but in a nutshell, it shows us the history and the purpose of everything. Everything. It tells us who God is. It tells us what our purpose is, what the end goal is for humanity. It's all here in those verses. Now, if you were here last Sunday, uh, we looked at uh, why do we praise God the Father? Well, today we're, we're considering why do we praise God the Son? And you can probably guess next week we're looking at... Uh, no, we're not, actually, because Mark's preaching next week. The week after, we'll look at the Holy Spirit. But for this morning, why do we praise God the Son? Let me pick out some themes um, from this passage. First of all, um, look in verse 3. It says, um, uh, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Why do we praise the Son? Because every spiritual blessing we have is in him. You know, there are lots of people looking for blessing in the world. Lots of people after blessing 
If you were, if you, uh, maybe you're like me and far too old to be on Instagram. Uh, but if you've, uh, if you ever try getting on Instagram, look up hashtag blessed. You'll find all kinds of things. Uh, you know, it, it, and the, my, my, just think with me for a minute. What do the people actually mean when they say hashtag blessed on, on, on uh, Instagram or wherever? What do they mean? Because it sounds quite spiritual, doesn't it? But in reality, what I've noticed is it's people who've got themselves a new car. New car, hashtag blessed. Or they've got, or they've got into university. Or, they've, or the currency trading is doing well. Or, or actually, there's quite a lot about cute pets. You know, new cute dog, hashtag blessed. You know, it's material stuff, isn't it? It's material blessings. And, and let's be clear, to have money, to have family, to have a home... Those kind of material blessings, they are good things. They're good things. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they're not good. They are good, but they're not God's primary concern for us. Look at verse 3 again. The Father has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What's that mean? What spiritual blessings? It's, It's being an adopted son or daughter of the Most High. It's redemption. It's forgiveness of sins. These are things that come up in this passage. And ultimately, it's when this life, when this life is over, you go and be with Christ. That's spiritual blessings. Most people, and some Christians as well, it's more like, just give me this stuff. Give me this stuff, God. You know, like Jesus to some people is more like one of those sort of uh, gambling machines with all the flashing lights on you see in pubs and places sometimes you know you the idea is you, you know you put enough coins in and you pull the handle enough times and press enough buttons eventually ka-ching, 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 and you get a payout for some people jesus is exactly like that you know if i invest enough if i if i go to church enough times if i if i put enough money in the offering if i read enough bible if i pray enough if i'm generous enough of my money then one day ka-ching, 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 god is going to give me all the stuff that i want There are so many people who are not interested in spiritual blessings. But that's not being a Christian. Being a Christian is, is, is wanting Jesus himself. Listen, this is the promise of the gospel. Look in verse 4. Uh, he chose us in him, and we'll come back to that in a few weeks' time. He chose us in him before the creation of the world for what? To be holy and blameless. That's what God has chosen us for. That's what being a Christian is. It's to be holy and blameless in his sight. Is that what you want today? Is that what you want? Is that, let me ask you, is that an appealing thing to you today? To be holy and blameless in God's sight? Because that's the Lord's aim for you. That's what he's working on. And if your aim in life is material blessing, and for you God is just a route to that, And I've got to be honest, I'm not sure you're saved today. And that might be a very, very alarming prospect, maybe even to some here. You know, if God for you is just a route to get the stuff that you want, that that doesn't make you a Christian. That doesn't make you a Christian. There's a kind of fake Christianity that's dressed up to look like the real thing with spiritual sounding words. But underneath, underneath it all is just give me the stuff. I want more stuff. 
Listen to what Jesus said. This is in Luke chapter 12. He told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> Doesn't say that. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I've run out of space to store all my crops, all my possessions. And he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And that's where I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, I'll say, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. Hashtag blessed. But God said to him, you fool. Because this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who's going to get all that you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God, Jesus says. You can have all the material wealth in the world, so much that you have to build a bigger house to put it all in. And then you die. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then you die. And you've got nothing. You've got nothing. You're going to stand before God in judgment. And he's not going to be impressed with your collection of whatever it might be that you enjoy collecting. But you see, the blessings that God wants to give us in Christ are so much greater. Redemption. We talk, um, we're going to talk about forgiveness of sins, to be holy and blameless in God's sight. That's how to be truly blessed. That's how to be rich towards God. Young people here today, you know, and some of the older ones I know, you, you sort of start off on a particular trajectory in life, and actually it's very, very difficult to get off that trajectory. Young people, you still have a chance to do life differently. I wonder what is it you're going to devote your life to? Is it going to be the accumulation of wealth? Is your aim just going to be to get the biggest mortgage you possibly can and buy the biggest and fanciest house you possibly can? Because that will be a very difficult thing to get out of later. Young people, what are you going to devote your life to? I, I read this this week in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. It says, When I surveyed all that my hands had done, this is... This is an old man looking back on his life. When I surveyed all that my hands had done and all that I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. A chasing after the wind. Why? Because it's never enough. It's never, it's never, it doesn't matter how much stuff you have, it's never enough to satisfy your soul. <laughs> And it all, all of it will rot, dissolve, fade, or end up in a charity shop or landfill. Everything. And none of it is any help at all when you die and go and face God on Judgment Day. Spiritual blessings, however. The spiritual blessings that this passage is talking about, they will take you through this life and on into eternity. 
That's why they're so important. We praise God the Son. We praise Jesus because of all of God's spiritual blessings to us. And they all come through Jesus. They come to us from him. The Father, the Father channels all these spiritual blessings to us through Jesus. That's the first thing, all right? Second reason we praise God the Son is because forgiveness and redemption are through him. Look at verse 7. So I've mentioned this briefly already. Most nights before um, Wendy and I go to bed, uh, we watch TV for an hour or so, uh, like many of you do, just to wind down. Um, And I've got to say, I really enjoy a good crime drama. I don't know about some of you. Um, I was thinking, you know, what, what is it what is it that makes crime... Some of you are thinking, where on earth is he going with this? All right, so I, I, it made me think, you know, what, what is it about crime dramas that makes them so popular? Why do we enjoy them so much? It's not that we enjoy seeing crime, is it? You know, this sort of appalling murder or something is not the bit... That's not why you watch it. That's the bit you've got to get through, perhaps. At least that's true for me. I think it's because when they're well done, they're gospel stories. That when they're well done, you see wrongs put right. You might start with wrong, but there's a redemptive arc, (laughs) a redemptive process, and then justice prevails. And in the very, very best dramas, um, one person usually ends up sacrificing themselves for another. And if you think about it in the movies, whatever your favourite movie is, probably that has happened. Someone ends up sacrificing their life to save someone else, to bring change to someone else, to make them a better person. It's the story of the gospel, isn't it? And that's why, that's why crime dramas, that's why, that's why I love movies as a, as a Christian. Because I think they are, so many of them are gospel stories. I always think of Titanic. Who's seen Titanic? Who's seen it more than three times? Yeah. So, you know the scene right at the very end where you've got Jack and Rose, and there's some debate over whether they could have both stayed on the bit of wood at the end, but let's not go into that. And, and, and Jack, let, they're, they're, they're going to drown, aren't they? He's pulling, pulling the board down, and he, he lets go of the, of the bit of wood, and he sinks to the bottom of the sea. And Rose survives. He gives his life for her. And, and she's changed, isn't she? Do you remember how... how um, oh, we won't do the whole movie, but at the end of the movie, she's a very different person. She looks back to that event as the thing that changed her. There's redemption there. That's what verse 7 says. In him we have redemption through his blood. Talking about Jesus. The forgiveness of sins. Redemption, forgiveness. They're spiritual blessings, aren't they? Of course, there's an assumption there, isn't there? In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. The the assumption is that we need redemption. Did you say that? We like to think it's only TV baddies that need redemption, but the Bible says, no, it's all of us. Western culture, and I can't really speak for other cultures, you will have opinions on it, I'm sure. But Western culture is incredibly egocentric. 
I am king of my own world. No one else has right to judge me or tell me what to do. I, I came across this quote this week. Um, I don't know who this guy is. He's an American musician, apparently quite famous. Jay Cole. Some of you all know him. Some of you are smirking because I don't know who he is. Anyway, um, but this quote sums it up so well. I wanted to put it on the screen. He says this. You are perfect exactly as you are. With all your flaws and problems, there's no need to change anything. All you need to change is the thought that you're not good enough. Oh, man. That totally sums up Western culture, that Western view of what humanity is like. As a culture, we think we don't need saving. We think we don't need redemption. We think we're doing okay. But think about it. <laughs> Look at the evidence. The evidence of broken families and pornography and war and violence and crime and greed and selfishness and lying and adultery and abuse would strongly suggest that our culture is wrong on that count. And that, that quote is way off. Let's not kid ourselves into thinking that all that is a problem that exists out there. It's a problem that exists in here as well, isn't it? Listen to the words of Isaiah. In contrast, Isaiah 59. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. The things that we've done wrong separate us from God. Never mind spiritual blessings. The Bible says we deserve spiritual judgment. Our natural state with God is separation. But, but, but don't miss the good news at the start of that. All right? His arm is not too short to save, but you need to realize you need saving first. That's where you've got to start. There is hope for humanity. There is hope for all of us. His arm is not too short to save. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been. His arm is not too short to save, but you've got to realise you need forgiveness. You need redemption. Every single one of us. And we're headed to an eternity without God in hell. Unless we have that redemption and forgiveness through Jesus. And he is the only way. There is no other way. Acts 4 verse 12 says this, salvation is found in no one else. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There's no other name. No one else can do it. There's no one else. We cannot save ourselves any more than the drowning person can throw themselves a lifeline. Just imagine that someone drowning in the sea or in a big lake somewhere. You know, and they, 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 let's say they've got a big rope or they've got a big rope. They, how can they possibly save themselves? In fact, all the efforts we go to to find redemption and forgiveness on our own, outside of Jesus... Not only do they fail, they actually work against us. Do you know that? People think that 
that um, their good works will, will help them. You know, I'm a good person. But you know what? That, that can keep you away from Christ. That can work against you. People think, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll be all right. I, I give to charity. Look how, look how much I pray. Look how much I, I read 17 chapters of the Bible just this morning. Surely God will be happy with me now. Look how I always try and tell the truth. I'll be all right. Surely God will forgive me. You see the danger? Those things can weigh us down. If they keep us from Christ, if they give us um, some kind of confidence in ourselves, they actually hinder us. It's like, it's like the drowning person. Imagine the drowning person in the sea or a big lake or something. Imagine they've got this rope around them and imagine the rope is so big it's actually weighing them down. It's the thing that, could, that they, they think is going to save them but they can't do anything with it. They need someone on the bank, on the shore to throw the rope across to them. But while the rope is entangled around them all it's going to do is drag them down. Whatever we do, it's not enough. It's never enough. Only in Christ and his blood shed on the cross can we be saved. Look at verse 7 again. In, in him we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins through his blood. In him. In his blood. How does that work? At the cross the father gave his son to die to bear our sins, to take the penalty, the punishment that we deserve. In him, we have redemption through his blood. It's his blood, his death that brings redemption and forgiveness to us. You know, the cross was not just a demonstration of God's love somehow. The cross was not just God showing us how much he cares. It, it kind of is that, but it's so much more than that. It, it's, not, it's not just something that makes redemption possible. It's actually the thing that redeems us and forgives us. God, um, 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. That's what happens at the, at the cross. God was reconciling the world to himself. Redemption is when, explain this word redemption. It's, so something's redeemed when, um, when a, a, the stipulated price is paid. Okay? So I guess technically when you go to a shop and you buy something, you're redeeming it. Okay? You pay them the money, it becomes yours. Okay? So a good example of it in the Bible is in Leviticus 25. Um, it says basically if someone gets into debt, they, this is how, how it worked in the Old Testament. If you got into serious debt, you could sell yourself to someone. All right, so let's say, I don't know, uh, uh, let's say Pete over there. <laughs> I'll look around and see who I can embarrass. <laughs> I'll be all right with Pete. So, <laughs> so just imagine like, I was in like horrible debt to Pete. I don't know what it was. Maybe you pay for a new car for me, let's say that. And, uh, I, but I owed him all this money and I, I tried to pay it back. I couldn't pay it back. What could I do? In the Old Testament, I could have said to Pete, Luke, Pete, from now on, I will be your slave. I'll be your servant. Don't smile. Um, <laughs> and my life is in your hands and I have to do whatever you tell me, basically. 
Um, uh, sorry, I've completely lost my track where I'm going in my notes. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, okay. So, um, uh, but, but the point is, in Leviticus 25, redemption is always allowed. So if, if, um, if Paul over there said, you know what, John? Love you very much, brother. I'm going to pay off your debt for you. Then I'm redeemed. You see? So, so I, I'm the debtor. And I'm, I'm slave to this man, but this man has redeemed me. And now I'm free. Okay? So that's, that's what redemption is, is, is all about. If someone can pay off your debt, you're redeemed. You have the right to be free. Well, that's exactly what Jesus came to do. Mark 10.45 says this. The Son of Man, that's Jesus' favorite description of himself. The Son of Man did not come to be served. He didn't come so that we could do something for him. But he came to serve. He came to serve us, to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to give his life to redeem people out of bondage, out of slavery to sin and death. And the whole world, the whole world is guilty before God, separated from him because of sin and shame and unable and actually unwilling to save ourselves. Completely helpless. But Jesus came into the world to redeem us, to give his life, to buy our freedom. That's the second reason why we praise God the Son, Jesus Christ, because forgiveness and redemption is through him. All right, there's only one more. We're nearly done. Ish. <laughs> Unity is in him. You think, oh, okay, that's, that's a little bit different to the direction we were going in. Friends, this is glorious. Okay, I think this is amazing. All right. So, now we are down in verse... I'll put it in my notes. I think that's verse 10. He made known to us the mystery of his will... According to his good pleasure, verse 9. He made known to us, we're just going to have to unpick this a little bit, all right? We're just going to just read a little bit from verse 9 down to verse 10, 11, 12. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. Okay, so let's take this apart a little bit. So mystery in the New Testament, the word mystery is something that was a secret that, that has now been revealed. It's something that you would never have guessed. Okay, something which you would never have guessed in your own, but now God has revealed it. God has shown us something amazing. Okay, so he's, God has made known to us this mystery according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment. So he's saying this amazing thing, which you would never have guessed in your own, has now been revealed to us that there's something coming. There's something that God wants to happen, and it was a secret. Now it's revealed, and it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. When the times reach their fulfillment, it's going to happen. Okay? And this is it, in verse 10. To bring unity to all things in heaven. And on earth, under Christ. Friends, th th this is the, the pinnacle of, of potentially the book of Ephesians, I think. Verse 10, chapter 1, verse 10. This is the mystery that's been revealed. 
that you never would have guessed otherwise. But this is God's plan for the universe. The ultimate purpose for all of creation, that everything should be united under this Christ, this Jesus. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So there'll be one day, when, when the times reach their fulfillment, one day there'll be no divisions, there'll be no good and evil anymore, there'll be no mixture. Everything, every person, everything in all of creation will enjoy Jesus. Well, glory in Jesus. There's a little example of it just in this passage as well. In verse 12, it says, We who were the first to put our hope in Christ. We? Who's we? We is the person who's writing, the Apostle Paul. Okay. Now, Paul, think about the Apostle Paul. He's a, he's a Jewish background believer, isn't he? He's a Jewish man before he met Christ. And then in verse 13, it says, You were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Well, who's you? Okay, you is the people who are reading the letter. Who, who's that? They're, they're the people living in Ephesus in the region of Asia. They're pagans. They're people who used to believe in the Greek and Roman gods. So, but, so you've got this thing, we... We put our hope in Christ and you were included when you heard the gospel. So now we're one together in Christ. People from a totally different background are now one together in Christ. Paul was a faithful Jew. And as a faithful Jew, he would have absolutely hated the people who were reading this letter. The people who lived in Ephesus, the, the stuff that they got up to with their pagan deities and their pagan temples, with the temple prostitutes and the idolatry and everything else, the Apostle Paul would have stayed a million miles away from that. But they're, but they're not that anymore. They've been changed by Jesus. And it, in Christ, enemies have been brought together. Enemies have been brought together. And now they're, 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 it's doing exactly what God's ultimate purpose is, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ, even Jews and Gentiles. And we're going to explore that more in chapter 3, as we'll, we'll come to that at some point in 2025, probably. <laughs> but this is, the, this is the story of the church people this is the story of the church this is what church is meant to be all about and I know I say this quite a lot but it's so important that when men and women and rich and poor and black and white and young and old and stable and vulnerable and people with multiple degrees and people who frankly messed around quite a lot at school when they come together in Christ under Christ to worship Christ that brings joy to the Father. That brings great joy to the Father. Because that is his ultimate aim for the universe. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Can you see, it's so much bigger than personal salvation. I... I think my evangelical background one of the things that maybe we haven't quite got the emphasis right over the years is, is the idea that it's all about me and my relationship with God that's it, that's all that really matters 
That my redemption, my forgiveness is all that really counts. <laughs> but you see, uh, there's an element of that which is actually quite selfish in the end. It's still all about me. <laughs> Doesn't that sound a little bit like this sort of American consumerist model? That it's really all about me. No, 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 no. There's something far more glorious going on here. God is going to bring all things together in unity under Christ. This, this truth is bigger than just me and my little life or you and your little life. This is the ultimate cosmic purpose for everything. This is the reason why we're here. This is the reason why anything and everything exists. There's nothing bigger than this. In the whole of human experience, there's nothing bigger than this. This is God's full and final, ultimate purpose for everything to bring unity to all things under Christ. Now friends, I don't know what the immediate future holds. And you don't either. You know, this coming week, there might be peace, there might be war. In your family, there might be health, there might be sickness, there might be promotion, there might be redundancy. The immediate future is completely unknown to us. But friends, if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus today, if you believe his word, then we know the ultimate future. You might have no idea what's going to happen this afternoon. But you know the ultimate future. That the Father will glorify his Son and bring unity to all things under him. That's his ultimate purpose. And that should give us confidence as we go into this week. And also, it means that when you make the effort to cross social divides... When you make the effort to cross cultures and cross age groups, when you drink tea with someone who's quite different from you, and you ask how they're doing, and maybe you pray together, you're doing something of cosmic significance. It's not just drinking tea. When you forge unity between people, what you're doing is what God's ultimate purpose for the whole of humanity is, for the whole of the universe. You're playing a small part in bringing unity to all things under Christ. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. When you invite someone who's different to you, to your home, when you build connections between people and have fellowship together, when, you, when you're part of a community group... <laughs> It's a little part of bringing unity to all things under Christ. When you tell someone about Jesus, when you explain the gospel to them, when you tell them where, why you're not terrified going into this week, but actually you have confidence going into this week. When you explain to someone the gospel, when you invite someone to church, when you take them to a small group like Hope Explored or Christianity Explored, when you... <sighs> all of it is a small part of bringing unity to all things under Christ. We'll come back to that theme of unity again and again as we look through the book of Ephesians. It's such an important one. But please don't think for one minute that the little things you do, the little things you do don't count for much. They do. You're fulfilling 
God's cosmic purpose for everything <laughs> as you do those little things in Jesus' name. Let's pray, shall we? Perhaps today, perhaps today, some of this has been a bit complicated for you. And you just think, I'm just at the very start here. Or I want to make a start even. You know, the starting point with all these things is actually in that passage as well. It comes by believing the message of the gospel. It comes by hearing the message of the gospel and believing it. You were included in Christ. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed. So let me ask you, are you believing today? As we sit here with our eyes closed, Lord, we just, each of us consider, are we believing today? Are we trusting the Lord Jesus? Have you come to him? I want to invite you today to put your faith in Jesus. To invite you today just to hand over your sin, your failure, and let him come in. Let him redeem your life with his. Lord, we come to you. We confess our need, we confess our many faults, our many failings. We thank you that you are the glorious Redeemer, the Saviour whose arm is not too short to save. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came not to be served, but to serve. You, gave, you came to give your life as a ransom to redeem us, to redeem me. Thank you, Lord. May we bring glory to you today and always. In Jesus' name, amen.